Welcome to Indie Depth, the show where we go in-depth with independent filmmakers about their filmmaking process. I'm your host, Andrew Froney, and today I have with me filmmaker of The Farm Hand. It's won 11 awards and so many other nominations, we couldn't calculate them all. Michelle Elise Harding, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. This yeah, is awesome. it's a pleasure. <laughs> so... The farmhand was was so cool, and you know what I love about it is the locale. Um, is it was a period piece to give people backgrounds. Period piece set in South Carolina, shot in South Carolina, and it did not feel modern at all. So, congratulations on that. That's thank that's you. a hurdle. <laughs> yes, thank you. Especially on something that was no budget, it was a huge hurdle. <laughs> yeah, and. Now, I recently um, drove down the East Coast, and I passed through South Carolina, and just that, that part of the country is just, it's so wooded um, from the road. It's very wooded. It's very its very peaceful when it's not raining, um, which it was for my trip. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. You get, you get stormed. That was something we were battling, too, just throughout filming, especially in the summer. It's tropical weather you get that florida weather you know we're close enough to florida you get you get storms every day so yes i <laughs> i totally get it <laughs> painfully understand <laughs> so how did you um go about finding these locations that would be adequate for a period piece and what was the period yeah, so uh, the farmhand was based in 1927, so Prohibition era, um, which is the, the basis that drives the story. And when it came to the locations, um, there is one thing in the film where we had to find a early uh, 1900s jail cell. Um, so we had someone help us with locations, Michelle Malone. She was incredible. Uh, she actually was able to find the location in North Carolina for um, which was uh, the New Brunswick. Wick, uh, sorry, the old Brunswick County Jail in North Carolina, and it was actually a museum. It's just oh. a tiny museum uh, in North Carolina that was incredible, and um, it, it, it's so funny that they even allowed us to film there. They actually allowed us to wear that the the costume that you see was actually a prop, like not even a prop. It, it was a, a a piece that was in the museum, and they allowed us to wear the uniform <laughs> that one of the jailers wore. Yeah, they, they were so accommodating, just so incredible. Um, and then as far as the farm goes, um, our lead, Russell Shealy, who plays Grayson Livingston, he his uh, family owns the farm, and it's an operational farm, and it was um, it, uh, all the buildings that were on the property, they were all early 1900s. And so if it wasn't for Russell, we probably, like, we definitely wouldn't have had our locations. Um, the role was actually written for Russell. And so he was on very, very early on in the process with, with um, everything from producing to acting to being property manager. And so um, he helped us um, secure the location with his family, who were so gracious and so wonderful and accommodating. And their property is gorgeous. It's hundreds of acres. Um, and there were so many, like every location you see aside from the jail cell was shot on that farm because they had so many different buildings and so many different looks to it that we were able to just kind of move around the property and uh, it's miles long. So we, we still had a caravan between the places. Um, but yeah, so basically we just, it was a team of us that did it. It was definitely not just me, um, to get all the locations that we needed. <laughs> and it looked great. I mean, even the, um, the interiors of the house um, was that on the property as well? 
Yeah, so that was also on the property. Um, they The home actually had a lot of antiques in it, so we didn't have to do set dressing. A lot of them were from that era. It just totally worked out. Um, it, it, it couldn't have worked out any better than it did. Um, yeah, they, they had, you know, antique piano um, that we didn't go near at all because it, it was like a prized possession, but, um, you know, they had just all these beautiful antiques and, and even their couches and, and everything was based in that era. Um, so we were, we were really lucky to not really have to do a lot of set dressing, even the barrels, they had a bunch of barrels on the property. So, um, a lot of the things that we really had to accommodate for were um, certain props like the pitchers, you know, mason jars, um, a lot of the smaller things, of course, wardrobe, things like that. But as far as all of the uh, set dressings and stuff, it kind of all came with all in one package. <laughs> That's great. And, and how did you how did you hunt down some of these period props? Uh, oh, my gosh. It took about four months to finish off all the props. Um, which I guess really isn't that long when you're thinking about filming, um, in terms of filming, but, uh, we really scoured what was really cool about South Carolina is it has so many different antique shops and thrift stores. So even things like the crates, um, there is, you know, like even just like a little book that Grayson has, um, that you don't, that isn't, um, particularly, uh, showcased but it's just like those little tiny props that make a big difference in a film so we were scouring all of these different thrift stores uh for just those little additional props and even things like the aprons or that that connie wore or you know the hats that the like some of the um background actors and grayson wore and things we got these at thrift stores um throughout South Carolina. So we went everywhere from Greenville down to Charleston looking in different thrift stores just throughout this course of four months. Oh, wow. And was, were there any, um, any issues with wardrobe? Did you find these in the same places? Did you have anything like custom made? Uh, so Grayson had um, some things that were uh, from a specific costume store. Uh, that were specific to the period. He was the most expensive <laughs> because he had eight. He had eight uh, costume changes, and um, he definitely had to have specific pants and suspenders because it was. He he was a drifter, so he's one of like those characters that we really wanted him to have the same pants because he wouldn't be like carrying a lot of things with him so we had to have something that was really good quality that could last him the entirety of the production we filmed over the span of a couple of months so um we had to find some really good quality uh things for him so we got some of his stuff at a costume store and a, a lot of what we got was through thrift stores um actually everything aside from part of parts of grayson's wardrobe were from thrift stores as well um so yeah <laughs> and did you dirty a lot of that up to to give that drifter look that worn um for screen look because i know i've heard from like the making of the movie alien like they made everything so dirty and then when they shot it it looked a lot nicer than they had done it so they had to like go over it yeah yeah that's what's crazy about just even that goes for makeup that goes for anything on camera it doesn't always show up really well on camera um so the only ones that we didn't dirty up that much were the farmhands, um, the back, the backgrounds, um, farmhands. Um, but yeah, as far as the other ones, uh, as far as Grayson and uh, EJ, 
they had to have some of their stuff to read it up and um yeah overall we kind of had to fray it a little but um, what's nice is because they were from thrift stores they were already uh used and pre-worn so it wasn't like we didn't have to do too much as mm. far as you know dirtying up things or making it look more worn and a little bit more authentic in that way too i feel like a lot of things with the film kind of came together very well <laughs> like when the more that i'm talking about it I'm just like everything is just like it just came together in the end <laughs> well it worked out it, um yeah to to just have all that together and such a beautiful beautiful location um i know you're telling me you had some weather issues on yes. that um how did that uh, how did you work around that yeah what's something that's really good about south carolina is it's warm most of the year except for three months or so uh we started filming the first scene we actually filmed was the last scene of the film and that was in july and we filmed through october um we were delayed by two hurricanes and even though we were really inland we were in newberry south carolina um which is very inland in south carolina um there the hurricanes that came through kind of hit inland and it also it didn't help that a lot of us were coming from Myrtle Beach South Carolina mm. which is on the shore and so um, you know because of that location the, the farm was about three hours three and a half hours from where we lived in Myrtle Beach South Carolina is a bit a lot bigger state than New Jersey um, yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where you can't just drive through the whole thing in two hours um, you know, so so just the, the crew having to travel so far, we had people in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia traveling for this, um, and actually one person from Jersey. So um, having to have the crew travel, you know, we just wanted everyone to be safe. So the hurricanes, when they were happening, even if we weren't personally affected, thank goodness, um, we still had to cancel filming several times uh, for it and keep pushing things back. Um, and if we had waited one more week, if we waited one more week in October, the leaves would have changed on the trees and things wouldn't have looked the same. Ooh. So it would have been <laughs> really, really, really rough. We would have had to wait till the following year to finish. Um, so again, it's one of those things that worked out really, really well. It was almost like it was meant to happen. And uh, it was very cold. So, so you can imagine we were going from 115 degree heat on some days in the summer to going to October weather. Poor, poor Carrie Ann. Um, Carrie Ann Hunt played Connie in the film. She's wearing these dresses and, and we're going to October weather and it, it's very it's even though it's South Carolina it's still chilly so it would be you know maybe 50s in the morning and she's wearing this dress we're like she's so cold and oh. you know she was a trooper yeah <laughs> so it's like you go from this huge heavy heat to you know costumes that are meant to be you know towards summer and then you're shifting it to the fall I mean it, it was a struggle we we did it though we we pushed through that <laughs> Now, was there anything that was unexpected, something that you needed or just something that somebody pointed out at the last minute, oh, this won't work? Um, any hiccups yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely um, some wardrobe problems, um, you know, especially when you have some period piece uh, wardrobe that is specific and you can't just go to a store and replace it. Um we had a hiccup where we lost one of the, uh, the pieces for the wardrobe and we had, we had um, like uh, two production assistants uh, go out and find a new apron at a, uh, another thrift store actually. Um, <laughs> 
the apron ended up being found. It was just misplaced. It was just hilarious. Um, <laughs> and we all can laugh about it now, but it was just one of those things we're freaking out at, at the time. And, you know, just, we just had to keep moving. Um, you know, so, so like little things like that, um, aside from weather, um, you, you know, when you are working with a period piece, it's very, very important to also follow what people think is appropriate for the time. So, for example, we had these wanted posters that we made and we really wanted it. You know, when you think of a wanted poster, you think of it being old and you think about it being uh, like brown, for example. You know, you don't think of it being clean mm -hmm. and not weathered. And so it's one of those things where we had to weather it because that's someone's immediate perception, even though a wanted poster would be new and, you know, mm -hmm. in the 1920s. Um, some things we couldn't find that were very appropriate for the period piece, like there's a cup that the sheriff drinks out of, the mason jars aren't perfect. You know, when you're working on something that's absolutely no budget, it's very tough to find everything <laughs> that you would really want. So, like, you might notice that there's no cars um, you don't actually see the distillery uh, in the film just because, you know, we, didn't, we don't have distillery money or car money to even rent. Um, you know, it would have been nice to have, a, you know, certain pieces that would have made it even more believable. But overall, I'm so proud of what we did. And um, it looks pretty good. <laughs> if I do say so myself. That it does. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, we're really, we're just so proud of it. Um, especially just being on no budget. It, it was um, definitely my biggest feat to date. <laughs> now, Michelle, you've spent a lot of time in South Carolina, but now you're back in the New York, New Jersey area. Um, tell us a little bit about how your job is going to affect the next level of storytelling. Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Um, a lot, you know, before this, I actually never, but before my job as a news producer, I never was writing. I could, I could always look at a script and just say, well, that's not quite right, or that just doesn't hit well or something, but I wouldn't know why. Mm -hmm. And I think that being a news producer actually helps my storytelling a lot, and it actually helps me as a cinematographer. It helps me, um, you, you know, of course, as a as a a film producer it helps me in every aspect of my filmmaking um and i'm actually writing an uh a script based off of an experience i had in south carolina because in south carolina i also worked in news but just a different aspect of it I was a news photographer um and i was kind of behind the scenes doing camera and things like that and so um i'm writing a script based off of an experience for that so um working in news with how crazy everything is in the world. There's definitely a lot of inspiration that comes from it. Um, and, you, you know, it, it's definitely, it's helped me a lot in, in, my, in my filmmaking. <laughs> now, I start out um, in college news, and oh, yeah. I'm all about being concise. So, you know, I don't know if it started there or, or what, but in news you have to tell a story in a very short amount of time um do you find that you've you've grown in that direction yes absolutely I mean, especially since the, the farmhand ended up it was a 28 page script it ended up being 42 minutes long um yeah i didn't write it my mom wrote it it was a, a mother daughter uh 
type film. Um, we had four mother-daughter duos on set for the farmhand, so it was definitely a collective effort there. Um, but I feel like with that story, we could have either extended it or we could have shortened it even just a little bit more because we do want to eventually turn it into a full feature one day. Um, and just, I, I've learned so much in my job as a news producer where, uh, just like you said, just being able to pick out what's important for a story and just knowing, um, you know, you only have 20, 25, sometimes 30 seconds for a lot of these stories. And, you know, what's the most important thing about a story? What drives the story? What are people interested in? And I can definitely use that knowledge and apply it to filmmaking. Um, so I, it's funny, you wouldn't think that the worlds are connected at all, but um, they, they definitely help each other. You know, like it, even for the news side of things, being a filmmaker has helped my writing in news um, just because you think, you know, it's super cut and dry. And uh, while a lot of stories are factual, there are certain ways that you can kind of make it a little bit more creative and, um, you know, kind of fulfill that part of what I love about uh, news and what I love about filmmaking, just kind of combine those worlds. <laughs> right. And it's all storytelling. So yes. at the end of the day, they can inform each other. Um, it's just a different method. Yes, exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. <laughs> now, you had written The Farmhand, uh, or I'm sorry, your mother had written The Farmhand, and you two co-directed it. Yeah. Um, how did that dynamic work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so funny, because um, the way that The Farmhand even started was my mom had dreamt it, so um, she had a dream, and she was telling me, you know, about these characters, and the original ending was actually a lot darker than the way it actually ended. I won't give any spoilers, but... Um, it was a lot darker at first, and so when she was telling me about it, we're like, I, I told her she, she has to write it down because even if we don't end up filming it, because it was a period piece, I was like, I'm not touching that with a ten foot bowl. I am not going near it. I'm not filming it. I we have no budget. We are just independent filmmakers. It's a self funded. We're just not doing a period piece. It's too much money. It's too ridiculous. And so I was like, but just write it. You know, like we don't know what, what's going to happen. You know, I, it's such a great story. Got to write it down. And so she did, and I can't believe we ended up filming it, but I'm so glad we did. Um, <laughs> and so just the dynamic on set was super interesting because, you know, like I said, we did have four mother-daughter duos on set. So there was, you know, it, there, like, the whole cast and crew definitely felt like a family. And, um, you know, there was literal family on set, but um, it just, it kind of brought everyone together. And having that dynamic with my mom, I'm very, very close with her. Um, it just took our relationship to a whole new level because... It was one of those things where, you know, you're my mom and, you know, you're, you, you just mean so much to me. But then we became work partners and I, I can't believe I was able to call her a writer and a director and being able to do that alongside her was just a, an experience I want to do over and over again. It's something I never, <laughs> like, I can't explain how amazing that was just because, you know, my mom... Uh, this was the first thing she's ever written. It's the first time she's ever directed anything. She she never went to film school. She had no knowledge about anything before this. And so we were just kind of feeding off of each other. And it was interesting to see what she focused on and what she thought was really important as someone who kind of wasn't in the industry, I guess, you know, beforehand. Um, 
just because, you know, she, when, she, when we were directing, she was focusing a lot on emotion, and then I was focusing more on the blocking of the scene. Mm. Um, so, so she really drove, because she wrote it, she really knew how the characters should be feeling, but the, the, the actors really took it, and they, they made it something incredible. But she was able to really guide them towards something deeper as if that then if I were to do it just because I didn't write it I didn't dream it I didn't literally feel it like she did in her dream so she did an amazing job and um it was an amazing experience honestly (laughs) yeah I I was going to ask about like the division of responsibilities and you answered that um so it's funny because I'll bounce ideas off my wife who's very like you know we watch tv and film a lot we're consumers but she doesn't go into the creative end so much so I'll bounce an idea off her and she'll be like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll either have to try to explain it better or, <laughs> you know, maybe something isn't working. Um, so it's nice to have that outside perspective. Um, yeah. But even so, um, film I had done, this film had spanned 10 years, um, pretty much on and off, because I had shot something, didn't get to finish it, actors moved away, all this yeah. stuff came back and I kind of like, you know, bookended and wrapped it up in um, almost like a flashback. So I was able to make more, make films more like the movies that I had seen when I didn't know as much about filmmaking. And now that I'm a little more technically knowledgeable and um, story and theory and shot compositionally um, minded, I feel like I'm almost like stuck in that and I need to bridge that gap somehow. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and that definitely, it's one of those things you hit it on the head where, you know, I, I was definitely stuck in my mindset in, you know, how things should look or if I saw something very specifically and, um, you know, just having that outside perspective of someone who is a consumer, like my mom, she, she loves movies. Uh, she loves reading. She, you know, she, 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 she has inspiration from other places than I do. So just being able to collaborate with someone who doesn't have just a set mindset, um, was really, really valuable. And I think it made the film a lot better, especially since when I was filming it, um, I had this very specific idea of, wanting to use a lot less depth of field in everything that I was doing because I kind of wanted the background to be more like its own character. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really wanted the background and and the the farm to shine. Um, And that idea came out of a collaboration with my mom. Um, So it, it was... It was really special. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why, you know, it looks so professional. A lot of the films, um, or a lot of independent filmmakers, have gone to, you know, lower light, which means um, open apertures. Yeah. And it, it's just, we've just become that look of, you know, I'm in focus, everything else doesn't matter. But <laughs> your film definitely strayed from that in the best way possible in that you're like hey this is a world out here for you to look at this is interesting this is important and i'm not trying to hide anything you know It, it was i i thought to me you know if you look at a lot of films um a lot of actual professionally shot films um from say like even just the the 2000s maybe even before a lot of stuff was in focus yeah 
a lot of that production design was like, hey, look at this, look at this. So I feel like with this new school of thought with shooting wide open or you know, 2.8, something close to it, um, I think there is room to play. Yeah. And you should if it makes sense for your story. So it's all dictated by story. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. That that was beautifully put. Yeah, that that was definitely the driving factor for me. Just just because I, there are certain scenes, especially towards the end of the film, um, in like the final, not the final battle, but the the one, the, the situation leading up to the final battle. I did wanted to add a little bit of depth of field, um, to some of the shots just for character feeling and sure. um you, you know for it to be you know of course when you when you have more depth of field and you shoot uh wider open um it kind of makes it feel like a little jerkier i guess um when when i'm going handheld mm. so i i definitely wanted to it, it to seem hectic i guess yeah in, in a lot of uh, those shots that that had that stronger depth of field, those were the only times when I went for anything higher than a 35 millimeter. Um, was when things were actually a little bit more hectic in the film, um, just because I really wanted it to to feel a little bit more jarring when the camera was moving handheld. <laughs> right, and and again, yeah. again, that's just another example. Use it for what's right. You know, it does. Your whole film yeah. doesn't have to be exactly the same if you don't want it to be if there's a point where you say what's a way technically that i can call attention to this detail or this emotion how this character is feeling maybe he's not in his right mind or he's he's just whatever whatever it may be um you have the tools at your disposal yeah to make a creative decision and that's great yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> now michelle you were also the cinematographer for the farmhand, which we were just talking about, looks beautiful, and I feel like you've captured um, that farm in South Carolina just just perfectly for the period. Um, you felt the heat. Um, I don't know how much of that was in camera, and you know if there was some slight tweaks in color grading, but it didn't it didn't feel like you were going for like a drastic um, process look in post. So I feel like a lot of that was probably in camera. Yeah, um, very interesting point. Um, yeah, a lot of it uh, was just in camera. It, it was on set. It, there wasn't a lot of color grading that had to be done in post uh, just because it was so hot. You know, I was saying how it was 115 degrees in some of those days uh, in the summer. So uh, you get a, it, it just gives such a different look to the actors, uh, you know, that they're, they have sweat beaten on their faces and everything is just so warm already, uh, especially since we we're just shooting outside. You know, the, the South Carolina sun is super strong. Um, and so a, a lot of it was through the camera i didn't have to do too much tweaking in post aside from actually those indoor shots sure <laughs> um so yeah definitely now um when we talk cinematography there are so many aspects to that um there's your camera your shot selection your composition which to me like framing and composition are, are two separate things like you, your composition is yeah. what you place in the frame and then framing is just you know adjusting the framing like if you've got 
a close-up, it's like, well, how do I frame this head? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you operate um, the same way, or what's your thought process when you go through shot selection? Yeah, 100%. So it's interesting because I don't storyboard. Okay. And I, I think that that's really controversial. Do you actually storyboard, too? Like, I storyboard crucial moments and if i have time and i'm thinking about something that could just be like a back and forth at a table i will storyboard it and it always for me turns out a little bit better when i do and those scenes that i do it, it shines and i've got glowing feedback from cinematographers and photographers too just be like oh you know it's this is very different but um it still cuts well and it still works yeah yeah, I mean, I, I, I do love, understand the importance of uh, storyboarding, and I totally agree with you. It's really important to be able to map out those moments. When I was working on the farmhand, I didn't storyboard at all. Um, and actually, there was a lot of... There, there was that final fight scene in the film, and none of it was scripted. It was all um, just on that day. I was like, all right, let's just get together and we're going to practice and I'm going to follow your movements back and forth because it was all so sporadic and it was supposed to be pretty jarring so I think that made that final fight scene actually more believable and for me I'm very very calculated as a cinematographer I am the type of person who typically loves the slow dolly or you know slider movements and I I'm, I'm very very calculated I always have you know my shot sheets and um, with the farmhand, it really challenged me to go beyond that, and it challenged me to actually just throw some things out the window, especially when you're working on a farm that's operational with all these cows mm. that have to be herded, and um, you're working Cow on the feet. shot! Right. <laughs> yeah, there, there was actually a rogue donkey in the film that just wanted its 15 seconds of fame, and it and started just it. honking, and he was like going crazy, and there, there was a moment um, for the last scene of uh, for for um, a, a confrontational scene, it was a very serious scene, and there were herds of cows. There was fifty cows or something that just came running, it, it came running, came running over to us, and they just stopped and stared at us. What and you guys doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we're just like, what? Are, what's happening? Because like the cows weren't in any other shots. We got to get them out of here. It has to look isolated. And oh. So so we had to herd them away, and it, it was just hilarious. And there were so many great moments like that on set. Um, but sorry, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, to, to your question, um, I do work in a similar way. I, I mean, composition and framing are totally different, and that's something that I actually didn't really understand in film school as much as I did at, after branching out. I say film school, but um, you know, when I was a film major, um, and so I branched out of that um, more when I actually started working uh, in the real world of film, um, and I, I really started understanding that for one of my first films called Spark, um, where there, there, there was a framing that I would, um, that there's a specific shot in that film where I have the uh, subject right in the center, and it's just, you know, a, a medium close-up, and um, it, it pulls out from her. And so the background, it was really bland at the time. And so we ended up really wanting it to look symmetrical. And so we were just building elements around the shot itself. And that was one of the first shots that we did of the day. So there was nothing else that was already facing that direction. And so we ended up building 
the set around that shot, I guess, mm. if that makes sense. And we started building stuff, uh, stuff around her head, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it's just so crucial to, um, because, because you can't have one without the other. The framing might be perfect and it might look perfect, but if you don't have the right composition, then things will still look lopsided and just, it just, it just looks it just looks wrong. <laughs> right, you got to fill in that frame. You don't want like too much negative space uh, if the shot doesn't call for it, um, because right. you got to use you got to use every inch of that frame. And yeah. I know I've heard people say that um, I don't know if it was like, I don't know what cinematography isn't um, putting things in frame; it's removing them. So yes. you have like the bare minimum, but sometimes it's also putting something in there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there are so many times where a scene will call for you, you, you know, for bare background, hundred percent. I mean, everything is completely situational. Um, but but just that specific shot, I always think on it, and I I just think about you you know just how. I think that that really just changed that specific shot changed me and how I look at a frame and how I look at a scene. Um, just because before that, you know, typical film school student where, you know, you're kind of filming in like a dorm room, for example, and you kind of don't, you know, have the background dressed up if it calls for it. And it just, it all looks kind of bland. And um, I, that shot just kind of changed how I look at, a frame and how I look at the composition of a frame. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was my moment. <laughs> yeah, it, it's always when something clicks, you just, you know, and then you know, you spend the next few months trying to work it out and figure out why and try to understand it, which is yeah. another bit of fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, period lighting. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. How did you have, because you had some night shots inside a house. Yeah. Um, how oh, did you man. go about that? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. We, we spent, I want to say two hours or more, which again, that doesn't seem like that, that's definitely not a long time as far as like certain setups. Um, originally that, that indoor scene at night, that was supposed to be a one shot. And we, oh. I was so set on it being, um, from when Grayson came through the window, I was going to track him through the house and, you know, it was all slated to be a one shot. So that, again, was one of those nights where I just had to throw my shot G out the window and just be like, I'm just going to do this, um, which I don't always recommend. I, 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 I'm very, sorry, my, my laptop. I'm very, I'm still, again, very calculated. But um, when that didn't happen because of the lighting, um, I had to just think on my feet and just completely redo that scene. But um, with the lighting, we were working with four LED light panels. Um, and we were also working with um, just a couple of like little China balls. And we were, we were trying to make it not seem, because especially when you're lighting inside of a home at night, you want it to look like a natural nighttime glow because the lights are supposed to be off. So we really wanted to make it really really soft and natural and there was one shot in it which I initially wasn't going to do but I used practical lighting in it um, as well when there, it's just shot down a hallway 
And so that definitely actually helped glow into the other room and kind of create that moonlight effect. Yeah. Um, but overall, we had these really bright LED lights. And honestly, a lot of it had to be taken down in post. But we really just wanted to make sure it didn't look like a spotlight. We just hmm. spent so many hours just trying to figure out the right composition because then you also had uh, of lighting. Just because then we also had the mirrors and we had... Um, you know, it, because he was moving through the house, we had to make sure that, um, you know, that there was no light that was going to end up in a shot when we turned around the corner. You know, you just have to take every little thing into consideration. And it was definitely one of the biggest challenges of the whole film was that night. That was the only we filmed one other thing that day, but it was super short. Um, that was basically all we had that night. And we filmed throughout the entire night just trying to get it right. Um, just because the, the lighting did take forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's so that's tricky because you've only got moonlight, and then if you do have a practical source, it has to appear appropriate. It has to yes. actually work <laughs> as yes. as a lighting source to do what you want because lights don't always do what you want. Um, so it, that that's a tremendous undertaking to have to think about that. Did you use any like fog or smoke machines? Um, so we actually were going to, and then it was too loud. So we ended up having to take it out. Um, and there was a scene outside at night in front of a uh, in front of a barn, and it had just rained. So it actually created again one of those things that worked out. It created its own haziness from the rain. We were actually nice. stuck inside for a couple of nights. Yeah, for a couple couple nights we were stuck inside for a couple hours waiting out the rain um and it ended up working out really well in that sense where it created a natural haziness and of course it, with it just being so hot in general there's a lot of natural haze um so yeah we were going to actually use a smoke, smoke machine but then once it was too loud we we're like uh we can just nix it you know kind of go from there and see what we can do to make up for that look that we were wanting mm. um i was also going to use there was like this spray haze in a can yeah i've Have used that yeah, it hasn't worked out for you because uh, obviously outside it's not very. Uh, I, I I didn't think it would last. Outside. I don't know about using for outside. Yeah. It might blow away. It like makes yeah. its own little cloud. Uh, I've used it for an interior scene, and you pretty much have to respray every take. Yeah. yeah. So if you buy a bottle, you're going to use pretty much that whole bottle on a yeah. sheet. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it seemed really uh like a like a second option but uh yeah it, did, it definitely went to form outside and uh, it didn't seem like it would at least and i was like well we'll just see what we could do from here and to make it look hazy it just naturally looks that way again um very very lucky <laughs> yeah now. do you think some of that was due to maybe humidity yes oh absolutely it was 100 percent humidity every day except in october the that october weekend that we filmed <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was very, very humid. <laughs> and we had like a little outhouse for all of the actors and for um, for all the cast and crew because, you know, when you're out working on the farm, you need somewhere to be able to cool off and go to the bathroom yeah. and any anyone else that is not, you know, somewhere to eat, you know. And it was one of those things where it was so hot. It's not like we can bring out a tent, you know, like an air-conditioned tent or something. It's just not going to do it. So um, the Sheelys who uh, own the farm, they ended up, you know, creating, they, they had uh, an old retail building on their site and they refurbished the whole thing so that we can kind of have our, our little wardrobe area. And there's nice. like, it was like three little rooms in this building and we kind of all made it work that way too. <laughs> oh, they had to make everything easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Did you have? How did you guys get around? You said it was a large property. Were you kind of like centralized in one location, or did you have like a, a golf cart or any any way to truck people and equipment around? Yeah. So the, um, we basically just had a caravan of cars, and there was one um, a, a crew member. Um, there, there were a family. And they had this huge van um, that fit like 10 people in it and it fit just so much of it, uh, of our equipment in it. So every time that we, I, I would definitely schedule it around the location. So I, I would try to minimize how much we had to move throughout a day. But of course you also have to know like you know, people do have to go back to go to the bathroom or they do have to cool off, you know, and of, of course it being so hot, um, we wanted extra cars so people can just go into the air conditioning if they needed to. Um, so to get around, we definitely just caravan. There was always at least four cars and it was a little rough in that sense because we were driving into cow pastures. Mm. So, so we had to make sure that the cows were away and, um, they were, they were moved. Um, they took, they were so incredible. They, they were herding all these cows and moving them, um, you know, from pasture to pasture and just making sure that, you know, they weren't in danger. No animals were harmed in the making of the film, kind of a thing. Good, uh, you can put that you know. at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think we actually, we, I definitely included it, actually, just because you do see cows in, in, in some of these shots. I'm like, I promise, they're totally fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so we drove into some cow pastures. They, they moved all the cows into, like, the, the one that was next to it mm. when we drove in. But it's just one of those things where, you know, they were electric fences, so we had to turn off the electricity. It was just this whole process to be able to get from one area to the other, basically. And so um, it took a lot for um, Russell and his family to to move those cows. So every time that we had a new location, there was a bunch of us, and we always had to make – it was a whole thing. It was like a whole thing just to move location to location. So we tried to definitely schedule it around – you know, if we knew that we had six scenes at this one location, we'll film. Of course, no film is filmed in order ever. But um, we filmed very out of order sometimes just to make sure that we were all centralized <laughs> in the same location for the same weekend kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so to drive this video back to cinematography before we wrap yeah. up, um, did you have any guiding principles while shooting the farmhand? I know you're shooting outdoors a lot, like the light come from a certain direction or... Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, just because... I, I kind of did. The biggest thing for me was just knowing the placement of the sun throughout the day. Um, just because um, when that that's the biggest tip I have for shooting outdoors. Just know the direction that you are facing. Know if it's north, south, east, or, re- east or west. And know that where the sun is going to be positioned throughout the hours that you are operating in that location. Because, of course, the sun changes throughout the morning. And it will change your lighting ex- a huge amount of course as you know um so you have to operate within the means of those hours and where the sun placement is going to be throughout that day um so shooting shooting outside the other biggest problem i had especially with the camera that i was using is um the amount of fallout on um each subject especially when they're wearing white just because things can definitely blow out very easily outside um so my biggest thing was also shooting at a lower aperture um so then i sorry not um i I was shooting um sorry (laughs) more more clothes down yes yes thank you (laughs) um i was definitely shooting clothes and then um having 
someone reflect a lot of light as opposed to yeah. um, as opposed to letting the sun create my like the shadows for me. You, I, it was definitely forcing shadows in the way manipulating the sun in the way that I really wanted it to be manipulated. Um, so it, it was a challenge shooting most of this film outside. Probably not as challenging as it would have been trying to film a period piece indoors. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, definitely dealing with the elements, it, it can be really tough. And um, just, just really sh- shooting outside, just uh, knowing, as far as the cinematography standpoint, knowing where, that's, where your sun's going to be throughout the day is definitely the most important thing yeah Yeah. wise wise words um (laughs) thanks so much where can we see your previous work thanks yeah um well i have a website michellelieseharding.com um you can see all my previous work there and um the the farmhand is out on amazon prime it's free for prime members or you can run it as low as 99 cents uh if you don't have a prime membership uh so yeah just because we talked about it great (laughs) yeah i'll put links in the description so you guys can find out all about the farmhand and it's cool content and images. <laughs> Michelle, thank, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for going indie depth. Thank you.